بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome back to MISC Women's The Beginning of Guidance for Muslim Women My name is Um Abdullah and I welcome you back to the final part of our examination of purification. Today we are going to look at the ritual bath for the removal of major ritual impurity and we're also going to look at the dry ablution. Inshallah, let's do so after our dua for seeking knowledge from Imam Haddad rahimahullah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma inni nawaitu ta'alum wa ta'alim wa tadakkur wa tadkir wa nafaw al-intifa wal-ifada wal-istifada wal-hatha ala tamassuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasuli wa dua ila al-huda wa dalalata ala al-khair ibtigha'a wajahillahi wa maradatihi wa kurbihi wa thawabihi subhanahu wa ta'ala Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah, I intend to learn and teach, to remember and remind to benefit myself and to benefit others, to derive usefulness and extend it to others, to encourage adherence to the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of His Messenger wasallam, to call to guidance, direct towards good, seeking thereby the countenance of Allah, His divine pleasure, closeness and His reward, the most exalted and high. Amin. Today we look, as we said, at the ritual bath, at the ghusl. And this is for the removal of the major state of ritual impurity. Last time we looked at the wudu, which is for the removal of the minor state of ritual impurity, which is brought about by some type of bodily waste exiting or from sleep or from unconsciousness or from, in the Shafi madhab, non-mahram male and female touching each other or between husband and wife that will break the wudu. What brings about a state of major ritual impurity is sexual intercourse, so marital relations. Also, if any type of sperm or ejaculation comes out through a wet dream or any other means. Also, for women, it comes about after menstruation, when the menstruation has finished then a woman is required to ritually purify herself through a bath, through the ritual purification. And also after childbirth, a woman is required to take a full bath. And after nifas, which is the lochia or postnatal bleeding. So after the birth and when that has finished, then she takes a ritual bath and inshallah she is ready to pray again. It's most important that the ritual bath is adhered to and performed properly. And it's very simple. It consists of two elements only, which is the intention and that water should reach every part of the body, which we will go into in a moment when we read the text. Unfortunately, there are many people who don't perform this properly and they make light of it and they think, oh, it doesn't really matter or I'll just wash some of my body and I won't wash my hair because I don't have time to style it or whatever is the reason. But this negligence is really not acceptable because when a person is in a major state of ritual impurity, 
then it means that they are actually furthest away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when a person does find themselves in this state, they need to change that as soon as they can. So a person shouldn't delay in taking the bath. In fact, it's something that they should rush to as soon as they possibly can. And the reason why is because if you're in this state, you cannot read Quran, you absolutely cannot pray or perform any acts of worship. You cannot uh, make tawaf, circumambulate the Kaaba, for example, if you're there. And you're, in a, you're, and you're in the state which distances you the most from Allah. And we know from the performance of our wudu that it's recommended for a person to be in a constant state of wudu or as much as possible in a state of ritual purity so that they are always ever ready protected from shaitan and always ready to go into an act of worship. Let's read what Imam Ghazali, may we benefit from him, says. فَإِذَا أَصَابَتْكَ جَنَابَةٌ أَوْ إِحْتِلَامٍ أَوْ وِقَاءٍ فخذ ألناء إلى المغتسل واغسل يديك أولا ثلاثا وأزل ما على بدنك من قذر وتوضأ كما سبق في وضوئك للصلاة مع جميع الدعوات والأذكار وأخر غسل قدميك كي لا يضيء الماء he says, if you've entered a state of ritual impurity by any of the means that we've just mentioned, then carry the basin of water to the wash place or step into the shower and wash your hands three times and remove any impurities from your body. So if it is that you have some bodily fluid, which is ritually impure substance, needs to be removed and washed from the body first. Then... You perform the regular ablution for the prayer. So you would perform the wudu as has been described. And he says with all the supplications and prayers and postponing only the washing of the feet so as not to waste water. If the water resources are scarce, then you would do that. Otherwise, if you're actually standing under the shower, then you would wash your feet. Some people like to wash everything first of all with shampoo and soap and body scrub and all that stuff before they actually perform the act of ghusl. And people feel that they are more clean that way so they wash themselves completely and then they perform the act of ghusl and they feel clean. It's recommended to do it the opposite actually, that when you get into the shower the first thing you do is remove any filthy substances and then you take wudu and then you perform your ghusl. And the reason for that is so that you get yourself out of the dislike state of being in major ritual impurity as soon as possible. And then once that's performed, then you can take your time, do whatever you need to do with uh, hair and body products. Imam Ghazali says, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ مِنَ الْوُضُوءِ فَصُبَ الْمَاءَ عَلَى شِقِّكْ الْأَيْمَنْ ثَلَاثًا once you have performed the wudu, which is performed as a sunnah wudu, it's not a fard, okay, but it makes the ghusl more complete. Then you pour water over the right side of your body three times, making the intention of lifting the state of impurity. So you start with the top of the head and you allow the water to run over and you rub the right side of your body to make sure that 
water reaches everywhere. If it is that there are any folds of skin or anything that need to be lifted in order for the water to reach there, then you must do so. And then you and your intention is the lifting of major ritual impurity. So it's the lifting of al-hadath al-akbar. Now hadath is the impurity and major is the akbar. So it's only the ghusl that can take you out of this state. When you perform the sunnah wudu before the ghusl, that's not lifting any state of hadath, of impurity, ritual impurity from you. Okay, what actually lifts the ritual impurity is the performance of the ghusl of the full wash. So then pour water over the left side of your body three times and then rub it. And then he says pour over your head three times. So it could be either way that you start with your head or that you do it after the body. He says rub the front and back of your body and use your fingers to make the water penetrate the hair of your head. Make sure the water gets into the folds of the body as well as to the roots of the hair, both thick and thin. And he says, avoid touching your private parts because if you do, then that will break your ablution and you will have to repeat the ablution. It won't break your ghusl, but it will break your wudu. If a woman has plaits, like thick braids or plaits, or even thin braids or plaits, then she does not have to undo those plaits, but she needs to make sure that she rubs the water into the roots of her hair as much as possible and that the water actually penetrates the braids and gets through, but she doesn't have to undo them. Imam Ghazali says, وَالْفَرِيدَةُ مِنْ جُمْلَةِ ذَلِكَ النِّيَّةُ وَإِزَالَةُ so he says that the obligatory parts are only two, the intention, which is that you intend to remove yourself from the state of major ritual impurity for the sake of Allah. So the intention which you have in your heart when you begin with the washing of your body and that the water should encompass the entire body. Here he talks about the obligatory parts of the ablution, which he didn't mention in the section that we covered in the last episode. And he says, وَمِنَ الْوُضُوءِ So the obligatory parts of the wudu, غُسَلْ الْوَجِّهِ وَالْيَدَيْنِ مَعَ الْمِرْفَقِينَ So washing the face and the hands up to the elbows. وَمَسْحُ بَعْضِ الرَّأَسِ And wiping a part of the head. وَغَسْلُ رِجَلَيْنِ مَعَ الْكَعَبَيْنِ And washing the feet up to and including the ankles. Each of these one time with the intention and in that particular order. So that's part of the Shafi school's essentials and compulsory aspects of the performance of the wudu. He then says that the rest of the actions in the ablution and the ritual bath are confirmed sunnas. وَمَا عَدَاهُ سُنَنٌ مُتَأَكَّدَةٌ فَضْلُهَا كَثِيرٌ وَثَوَابُهَا جَزِيرٌ وَالْمُتَهَاوُونَ بِهَا خَاسِرٌ بَلْ هُوَ بِأَصْلِ فَرَائِضِهِ مُخَاطِرٌ فَإِنَّ النَّوَافِلَ جَوَابِرُ الْفَرَائِضِ He says here that the sunnah Actions are those other than that mentioned now. So for the ghusl, the intention and the water reaching everywhere. And as we've just mentioned for the wudu. So everything other than that, such as the washing of the mouth and the nose and the ears, 
These are all Sunnah aspects. But he says, be very careful that you don't dismiss them. And many people do that. Many people take it easy, like, oh, it's only a Sunnah, I don't need to do that. The only time that you should not perform a Sunnah is if, for example, you are running right out of time and you literally don't have time to perform that. So it might be the end of the waqt, the time of the prayer, and you need to perform your ghusl as fast as possible to get your prayer in. So in that case, you would leave the sunnah and perform the obligatory so that you can go and perform your prayer on time and not let the time pass you by. Or if you didn't have enough water, then it would be quite permissible for you to neglect the performance of the sunnah because if you used all that water, then you may not have water to drink, for example, or you might run out of water. So only in those cases, uh, which would be permissible for you not to perform them, but if it is that you have ample time and water, then you shouldn't make light of the sunnah and you shouldn't act like it doesn't matter because... As he explains here, that whoever dismisses them loses out and you put your obligatory acts at risk for the voluntary acts make up for deficiencies in the obligatory. And our commentator, I haven't been mentioning much about the commentator in the last few episodes, although I have been taking different notes and points from the commentary from um, Al-Imam Al-Jawi. And he says here that if a person dies and they haven't fulfilled all their obligatory acts or their obligatory prayers, then the nawafil prayers or the extra prayers that they pray, that 70 of those make up for one rakah of a farud prayer. Okay, so I know we're talking about the prayer there, but what he's giving is an example that whatever you've done of something which is extra and of a sunnah act, will actually complete any deficiencies that you may have had in an obligatory act. And that's not just for prayer, it's also for zakah. So if you fell short in your payment of the obligatory zakah, whatever you gave as voluntary sadaqah can make up for that and also with your purification. So what happens is that the sunnah acts of the ghusl actually make up for any deficiency that you may have had in the obligatory part and they also expiate for any minor sin. And this is one of the benefits of all forms of purification. They they expiate for minor sins, not for major sins. So if it is that you take uh, wudu to pray your fajr prayer, and then at duhr time you take wudu to pray your duhr prayer, then whatever minor sins you have committed will be washed away by the washing of your limbs for the performance of your worship. That ends the section on the ritual bath. As I've said before, this does not take the place of sitting with a properly trained teacher and going through every single aspect of this. This is a reminder for those who know and a a beginning point for those who don't know. And if there is anything that you don't know about the performance of the ritual bath of the ghusl in the school of jurisprudence that you follow, then you must go and seek that knowledge from somebody who's able to give that to you in the most complete way. Either in person, which is of course preferable and the proper way of doing it, or online if uh, personal classes aren't possible at the time. Okay, we're going to look now at the final aspect of purification and that is the dry ablution or what is called a tayammum. It's quite short and it's quite interesting because it's available as a replacement for the wudu and the ghusl in order for a person to pray. 
What it does not do is lift the state of ritual impurity, but what it does do is permit or allow or make lawful the prayer for a person who is in a state of impurity. And why is it that a person who is in a state of impurity could not perform either the wudu or the ghusl is because they either lack water or access to water or they have an illness or a wound that would be exacerbated by the use of water or, for example, they're unable to move and they can't get to water. So these are the things that would allow for a person to take a dry ablution and as I said, it doesn't lift the state of impurity, but it does permit and allow the person to pray. Imam Ghazali says on Adab al-Tayammum, فَإِنْ عَجَزْتَ عَنِ الْمَاءِ لِفَقْتِهِ بَعْضَ الطَّلَبِ أَوْ لِمَانِعِ مِنْ الْوُصُولِ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ سَبْعٍ أَوْ مِنْ حَابِسْ أَوْ كَانَ الْمَاءُ الْحَاضِرُ تَحْتَاجُ إِلَيْهِ لِعَطْشِكَ أَوْ عَطَشِ رَفِيقِكَ أو كان ملكا لغيرك ولم يبع إلا بأكثر من ثمن المثل أو كان بك جراحة أو مرض تخاف منه على نفسك فاصبر حتى يدخل وقت الفريضة. He says if you are unable to find any water after looking for it wherever you may be or some obstacle prevents you from reaching it like imprisonment or a wild animal. So if you're scared to go and access water, perhaps in a river or a lake or somewhere like that um, because of the natural environment, or you might have water right where you are but you can't get there because you're imprisoned, or the water you have is only enough for you or your companion's drinking needs, or the water available is the property of someone who wants to sell it for more than the market rate. So you don't have to go to an expense in order to perform your act of purification if it is going to bring a hardship upon you in that sense. Or if you have an illness or wound that if it comes into contact with water could be life-threatening or exacerbated, then you must wait until the time of the obligatory prayer arrives. So you don't do anything about your state of ritual impurity, but you wait until the time to pray comes in. Then he says that you ولا تتكلف إيصال الغبار إلى منابت شعوري خفت أو كثفت. He says, then when the time comes in to pray, then find clean earth on which there is soft pure dust. So a type of sand or a type of dust on a place which is raised up off the ground and strike your palms on it. So this is how you perform the tayammum. So first of all, we need the correct substance or the correct object that we're going to strike twice with our hands and wipe over our face and our arms for the performance of the tayammum with the correct intention. And that's what it's made up of. We don't need to wash limbs, obviously, because we're taking a dry tayammum because of the lack of water, but we do need to follow these obligatory acts, which are three, intention, striking, and then wiping over the face and arms. So you need to find clean earth or something with soft pure dust. 
This is the Shafi school. The Hanafi school is a bit different. So if you follow the Hanafi Madhab, then please refer to the books and your teacher there about what the requirements are. So then you strike your palms on it with your fingers together. So two flat hands together with fingers together with the intention of making the prayer lawful. Just as last time in our last episode, we looked at istibahat al-salah, which is the permissibility or the making of prayer lawful for you despite your state of constant impurity, like through incontinence, for example. Then the same is here because, as we said, this tayam on this dry ablution does not lift your state of impurity. It's like it opens the door for you to pray despite the fact that you're in a state of impurity. So you strike your hands down and then you wipe your entire face with your hands once. And you do not need to make the dust reach the roots of your facial hair, thick or thin. Then Imam Ghazali says, take off your ring. So whatever rings you may have on. The reason being is because any dust cannot go under the ring. When you take wudu and you wash your hands, then you move the ring around so that water will go under it. You don't need to remove it. But for the tayammum, then you should remove your rings because any dust that's there can't get under the metal. So he says here, Take your ring off and strike the earth a second time with your fingers spread out. Then he says, strike the second time with your fingers spread out. Then wipe your arms, including the elbows, with your hands. And if you do not go over the whole area the first time, strike the earth one more time and wipe the arms until you have gone over the entire area. Then he says, Okay, so how do we do that? How do we wipe over our arms? Well, what we do is with our fingers spread out, then we strike the earth again with flat palms, and then we take our the palm of our left hand and put it over the fingertips of our right hand. So we have the palm of the left sitting on the top of the top of the right hand and then we wipe down the arm to the elbow and around the elbow on the top on the outside of the arm. Then we turn the arm over and we run our hand, the palm of our left hand, back up the inside of our arm and the palm of the right hand until the hand comes the left hand comes off the top of the fingers of the right hand then we do the same we put the open palm of the right hand on top of the fingertips of the left hand and we run it all the way down the left arm including the elbow then we turn our left arm over and we use our right hand to move back on the under part of the left arm until the two palms meet and the right hand goes over the left palm and comes off the top of the left hand fingertips. And that's it. And Imam Ghazali says that if you don't have enough dust to do both hands with one striking of the earth, then strike again so that you can complete that. In the Shafi school, you're only allowed to perform one obligatory prayer with every tayammum. However, once you have performed your obligatory prayer, 
you're able to perform any number of extra voluntary prayers with that tayammum. And then when you want to pray another obligatory prayer, you, then you must wait for the time for that prayer to begin. Then you will take a fresh tayammum and then you pray that obligatory and any number of uh, voluntary prayers that would come with that particular prayer time. There are a lot of other uh, issues and uh, questions and interesting things associated with this topic with the tayammum. This is very basic and just covers the general aspects of it. And one thing that I'd like to mention that's really important is for people who are sick and particularly people who are in hospitals at the moment because there are many and often what happens is that when a person who's ill and they're unable to move, then somebody can come in and perform the tayammum for them. So if it's a relative, then they're able to strike on a hard surface with some dust um, and they're able to perform that for the person who is ill. And the most important aspect of a person's worship when they're ill is that they perform the prayer to the best of their ability five times a day. And it's really important to encourage the patient to do that. Now, you might think, oh my goodness, what if they have open wounds? What if they have a catheter? What if they have blood? What if they have all these things all over them, which clearly would require to be washed off, but that can't be performed, the washing of those things? In that state, it doesn't matter because the most important thing for any Muslim is to pray. And prayer is obligatory on a Muslim from the day they reach puberty and become legally accountable until their very last breath. And sometimes whatever state a person is in, then it doesn't matter, they just pray. And if they can't pray standing, they pray sitting. If they can't pray sitting, they pray lying down. If they can't move any of their limbs, then they move their eyes. And so they can make their eyes just move in three different places, like they were standing, bowing, and in prostration. And if they can't even do that, then they just pray in their mind. It's really, really important that the person who's sick doesn't neglect that and also because the supplication of a sick person is accepted as long as the sick person prays. So if that person is fulfilling despite the state that they're in, to the best of their ability, their obligatory prayer, then whatever du'as they make are accepted, inshallah, because of the state that they're in. So I strongly encourage everybody when they are around sick people or when you yourself are ill, that you don't neglect your prayer. Because if it is that that's an illness of a person's death, then they will have gone to meet their Lord without having performed what was obligatory on them. And it's not a hardship. It's not something that people should be treated in a harsh way about, but they should be encouraged gently and lovingly that Whatever state you're in, then you keep praying and you keep turning to Allah. And only Allah knows what will come from that. And that person's sincere seeking of Allah through the performance of their prayer, of their worship in their weakest state, inshallah, might be the thing that brings about their their remedy, their, their wellness again, their well-being. And if not, then the person passes on to their Lord in the best state with no debts. And we ask Allah to receive us with the best states of heart, even if through illness or other means our bodies are not in a good state, it doesn't matter, because the state that we are going to Allah in and the state that we will meet Him in, 
has to be one where the heart is sound with a qalbin salim. So we ask Allah to make us of those who are of the mutatahirin, those who purify themselves outwardly and inwardly, inshallah, and that we perfect these matters and that if there's anything that we don't know, then we seek the knowledge from people who do know. Fas'al ahli dhikri in kuntum la ta'alamun. Ask the people of knowledge if it is that you don't know, as is ordered in the Quran. We have many scholars. There's no excuse for us not to learn these things. The only thing holding us back is the weakness of our own nafs and our laziness and the fact that we might not care. But the more we care about our ritual purification and cleanliness, then inshallah, the more we will care about our prayer and the more perfected our prayer and our acts of worship will be. So we ask Allah to make us of those who are successful in these matters and to facilitate for us the means and to be grateful for the fact that many of us have showers, we have hot water when it's cold, uh, we have cold water when it's hot, and we can perform these things in any time or any place for people who live in countries where these facilities are offered. And we ask Allah to relieve any hardships on those people who don't have such facilities. And Allah is all merciful and He is the one and Allah is all merciful. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Please forgive me for any of the shortcomings and for any lack of explanation. Uh, which I may have been negligent or deficient in, particularly in these last three episodes dealing with purification. But I hope, inshallah, that the main aspects have come across. And as I can't stress enough, you must go and find out the details according to your school of thought and seek to enact these and perfect them to the best of your ability, inshallah. جزاكم الله خير وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم الحمد لله رب العالمين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته